0: Just met someone, and the conversation leads to the inevitable question. So, what do you do? A simple question calls for a simple answer.
1: But what if your answer is never simple? What if your answer defies
0: the societal norms? What does career happiness mean to you? This show dives into convention breaking career choices, uncovering narratives of working professionals, and creating a space for those who wish to pursue their passions. This is So What Do You Do? Hey guys, welcome to So What Do You Do? Today in the studio we have
1: Peter Chinman. So Peter, what do you do?
2: I write poems. Uh, Most of my income comes from people giving me donations after I've written poems for them in public. I also sell books and take commissions online.
0: That's awesome. Um, So before we get more into your career journey, maybe we can back it up and you can talk a little bit more about um, yourself and your background.
2: I was born in Boston and spent the first 13 years of my life there. And then my family, uh, we had, I had a little sister, and then seven years later, uh, my parents had twins and the house was getting way too full. And so we moved to the suburbs and that was where I was for like high school, which was deeply alienating in a way that I think has been very important in my life. I like truly felt like I didn't belong at all. And it took me many years to even like find anyone who like I could relate to in this like weird alien world I had been suddenly plunked down into which is a feeling that when I got to New York, I was like, oh yeah, like this is lonely in a very special way. Like having to ride the subway and not have any sort of human encounter, you're like trying to avoid anyone's like eyes and just do that. It reminds you of of when you were really young, I feel like, and you were so lonely. I experienced deep loneliness as a growing up. And I think that probably has some influence on the poetry. It's hard for me, I'm the wrong person To ask for a a psychoanalysis of my life (laughs) and to explain how I got here.
1: What do you think are three adjectives you would use to describe yourself?
2: Feral, tidal, and... Lovely.
1: We always ask that question to all of our guests, but having to ask a poet is something that I was really looking forward (laughs) to. I was like
0: very interested to know. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So in college, you majored in chemistry, but then you transitioned into English. Uh, Maybe you could talk about what sparked your motivation in changing majors and also how your background has helped Mm. your current career.
2: Um, That's only partly true. Uh, I went to a college where you didn't have to declare until uh, the middle of your sophomore year. Mm -hmm. And I got to college, not sure what I was doing, but I was really good at math and chemistry. And I was like, I don't care about this enough to put in work. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is just something other people have been trying to convince me is important to pursue, but not like for me. They want me to do it because they want me to have a good job. They want me to have like a, a comfortable life. And so I consulted myself and I was like, what do you truly care about? And language i deeply care about and so i decided to study language in whatever way i could which was mostly philosophy and literature but i also studied a lot of math and i think that's has been important in my life there's something that math and philosophy and literature as a broad field i would call it uh, that they all share in the center of their venn diagram and i don't i don't want to put words on that thing but whatever it is is very important to me
1: Were there any literary inspirations that sparked your motivation in the beginning?
2: So many. I -hmm. I loved books growing up. I didn't read many poems, I think in part because we're really bad at teaching poetry appreciation to people. But I loved books growing up. My dad really loves J.D. Salinger and so was like, didn't want to push it on us, on me and my siblings because he loved it so much and was like, you got to come to this on your own. Uh, But we all separately have and we agree like, oh, this feels somehow like a family heirloom of some sort. Um, And there's one of his stories where there's a character who ends up committing suicide. Sorry for the spoiler, um, who is a poet and he has an entire book just about him and doesn't give any of the poetry. He just talks like around the poems and they don't exist. They're completely fictional. He's a fictional poet. But like he was a very important poet in my life. And then I feel like I got to college and the people I was with had a much more sophisticated appreciation for literature than I did. And they were like, here's the amazing things that I have found in my life. And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't even know this existed. There's poetry that hits this hard. Like, I just didn't know that our teachers in high school were like, here's Edgar Allan Poe. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. But like, he's weird old man. (laughs) And then to suddenly be like getting into things that were written in the past hundred years that were like written recently. There's so many people who are creating things that I, that hit me so hard.
0: Wow, I really resonate with that. People think that poetry is archaic or old or dead, but it's so alive and present on the moment and like on the pulse of society. And there's so much that people just don't
2: know. Even Poets loving loving poetry, I have a hard time finding poetry I love. You can't spend your life doing something if you don't make money doing it. And the only way for most poets to survive is to become teachers. And I think that does something to your poetry. I wish it didn't, but I think it's unavoidable that if you spend your life in the academy, you're going to write sort of academicized poetry. And that's not always true. There's definitely some academic poets who make their their living in the academy, but who write wild, feral poems. The most exciting poets to me are people like not at all in that world, and some of them Uh, I have to take back everything I've said because they're so amazing that I don't want to speak any ill of them. For instance, Ilya Kaminsky uh, I believe makes his living teaching is my understanding, uh, but he is a truly phenomenal poet. And I'm, If the entire academy exists just so that he can write poetry, that's that's great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So going back to your career a little bit, in 2017, you started writing poems in Washington Square Park. Can you maybe talk about what that transition and beginning of your new poetry career was like for you?
2: Yeah. When I graduated college, I had no idea what I was doing, except that I was in a band in high school, And I wanted to, uh, we were all finishing college at the same time. I wanted to get the band back together. And so we got together and we moved to Austin and we played a lot of music. And then we moved back to Boston. Uh, And then the band broke up and there's just two of us left. And we were like, what do we want to do with our lives? And I was like, we we still want to make music. And so we moved to a little beach house in Massachusetts. uh, And we both worked three days a week and spent four days just making music and art and uh it was so lonely another repeated important theme there's we didn't know anybody in the town uh and it was difficult to get away the trains didn't even run on the weekends the first year i lived there uh but i got so i made so many things uh i wrote a whole book of poems i, I filled up like a shelf full of journals uh from which i made a book of poems we made a lot of songs and then we had to leave and I didn't know where I was going to go. And I had some friends who had a house in New York and they had an open room and they're like, Peter, you got to come. It's great. And I came and I visited and it was great and it worked out. But I got to New York. I had no idea what I was doing. I was working still this like dumb customer service job online where like it was a food delivery company and people would call in and be like, like my tacos came late. And I'd be like, you want some food bucks? Uh, and they'd be <laughs> like, yes, I would love that. And then I would send them Foodler bucks, the online alternative currency with which you could purchase food Mm -hmm. um and i would do that for like eight hours a day three days a week is weird uh but i was doing that my first five months in new york and i was like this is this is doing something just disastrous to my psyche i'm just in the house all day like i'm in new york city and i'm just in the house all day like online like responding to people's complaints about what food they're receiving and i had no idea what i was going to do but I put together a book of poems from my time I had spent living in this house on the coast. And I put it out. I just printed up 125 copies. And I sold a big portion of them very quickly. And I was like, if I could keep this up, I could just live as a poet. But I didn't know how. There's no way. Like, I, I had sold them to my 60 friends and family. Uh, Like, how was I going to find other people? And I think that just sort of sat for a couple months uh And then I was watching the movie before sunrise, and there's a scene where the two characters who for an hour and a half are having a long conversation come across this dishevelled bum on the side of a river, and he's like, "Let me write you a poem, and if it brings any beauty into your life, you can give me a dollar um and it was so ridiculous and was like hitting so many weird like European archetypes of like drunk men on the side of rivers who write poems. I was like, "Wow, if I could do this." in New York City, I could live as a poet. And so the next day I made a sign. I, I designed this sandwich board sign that I could wear and would would have something on both sides of me. I don't know why that seemed like the only appropriate method to make the sign, but it did. <laughs> yeah. And then I went out scouting locations. Uh, I just wandered into Manhattan, had no plan, and was just like, where do I set up? Where do I do this? I slowly got led from I don't know where I started, maybe like someplace ridiculous like Times Square, and then got led up into Central Park, and then got led up to 72nd Street in the park to Bethesda Terrace, where there's like it everything opens out into this beautiful fountain. And I was like, okay, this is the spot. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. And the next day, I went out. I got to the spot. I I took out my sandwich board sign and put it on, and I was so nervous and felt like humiliated and embarrassed. And I was like everyone's going to be looking at me when I put this sign on, uh, but I did it, and I had my clipboard and I had some paper and I just wandered around like a ghost because like really everyone pretty much ignores you uh, until you are like in the right place and I finally got to like the lip of the fountain and I sat down and people just started coming up and it was a slow trickle I don't know how many poems I wrote that first day, but I remember I made seventy six dollars in a, like a few hours and at the time I was making thirteen fifty an hour for my online job and immediately I was like oh I can quit. I make more money doing this. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so I quit. And I immediately just started living full time collecting money from strangers in public places mm-hmm. at Central Park mostly for the first maybe month or two and then eventually I found the spot I love so much in Washington Square Park and just started going there almost every day.
1: Yeah right here by NYU. It's so awesome such a beautiful place to write and people just observe everything that's there
2: it's it's a a really Mm -hmm. special park yeah there's even just the architecture of the park that central ring of the fountain and the benches and it concentrates people's attention in and the entire interior area becomes a proscenium stage area I don't know there's something elevated that happens there and even if people don't know they're performing like they're part of this vast conspiracy of performance that's going on and there are so many people actually performing or just being weird in public or mm-hmm. just like engaging and there's so many people passing through I don't, I, I don't know how many but it, it seems like thousands and thousands of people pass through every day mm-hmm. uh, and people are looking for things to do ways to engage with their fellow humans in this strange miracle of a park in New York City I now have a table and I look much more official than I was wandering around (laughs) with a clipboard. Uh, But people just come up and they they ask for poems and a lot of them are very uh, beautifully naive about it or just very open and willing to like share this weird intense moment with me. A lot of some of them just like want me to perform for them, and I'm like a dancing poet monkey, <laughs> perform poet monkey, uh, and I'm I'm happy to do that if you pay me enough. But generally, I just I care much more about engagement, and if you engage with me, like I don't care how much you pay me, like as long as I can survive doing this, I'm happy to like have you pay me zero dollars, pay me one dollar. I I want people to pay an amount that like feels like something to them, and for some people, that's twenty five cents, and that twenty five cents is like like that's their 25 cents they like if they give that to me they don't have it anymore and that's all they have Mm -hmm. uh and that feels strange to accept but i accept it if people want to give me something i accept it uh if people don't like are like listen i don't have anything to give you there's lots of reasons people do that uh and sometimes it just feels very heartfelt and it's like i have nothing to give you but i want a poem i'm like yeah of course Mm -hmm. there's other people who are like dance for me monkey and i'm like okay yeah. How much you got. How much you got.
1: <laughs> so, what do people usually say when you tell them that you're a poet? And are there any misconceptions that people hold before talking to
2: you? In my private life, people are very interested in it. I think the thought that I'm like a street poet makes them, a lot of people, be like, you're almost a beggar. What's a well educated white boy like you like doing? Asking for tips on the street. And it really like wrinkles up some people's soul and they like hear that I'm doing that and it really upsets them that I would like abandon all of this like investment in my mind and I'm instead like wasting myself writing poems. But a lot of people are really excited and they're like, what? You just write poems? That's amazing. I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. And then it just becomes your normal mundane life and you no longer like quite see the wonder of it, but it's still amazing. Uh, and in the park, it's very obvious what I'm doing because I have a giant sign that says, ask me for a poem. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet people are still confused. They still come up and they're like, what is this? <laughs> uh, and I'm like, I write poems. And they're like, you'll give me a poem? I'm like, yeah, about anything. And often they already have something they want a poem about. And they finally like, can tell me. Sometimes they don't know. And that's beautiful, too. I'm happy to just see what happens. I'm pretty much always ready to write a poem
0: so you've also written numerous books, as you mentioned. You have two volumes out. What was the process of writing these books?
2: There's Park Poems Year One and Park Poems Year Two. And that process is uh, when I write poems for people in the park, uh, if they surprise me in some way, I take a picture of it. And it ends up being, I think, about 10% of the poems I take pictures of. I don't, I don't keep any records. So this is all just me attempting to invent figures. And of, so at the end of the year, I have all of these photos in my phone of poems that I sort of liked in the moment. And uh, when winter comes, around now, I start going through everything from, I started in April 1st. Um, So I go back to April 1st and I start reading through all the poems I've written through the year. And I transcribe uh, the ones I like from the ones I took photos of. Uh, And I usually, the past two years, both times I've ended up with about like 100 poems, 120 poems that like seem like they have potential to me. And then I'm ruthless. And then I just like spend the rest of the winter cutting away so much that it hurts and just like rewriting so many things and doing 10 versions of a poem and reworking it relentlessly uh, until both years now I've had 40 poems, 40 the first year and 39 the second year. And I'm expecting to have a similar figure this third year of poems that I think are special, like really special to me. And I want to share them and... Uh, then I pick a color for the cover, which takes a week of looking at a specific color until <laughs> it feels right. Uh, and then I print it up and put it out.
1: Wow. That's incredible, the amount of poems that you write every day and your interaction with all of these people. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing.
2: The volume scares me a little when I like realize, like... I think I'm writing 4,000 poems a year. Wow. And, like, so many of them are bad. And, like, so many (laughs) of them are sort of, like, a little embarrassing to me. I want to always be a good poet, but, like, one out of every hundred poems I write is really special. Mm -hmm. I also think that's the beautiful part of the project is that, like, the poems don't belong to me. Like, I write them in the course of, like, three minutes. Like, I put in very little work and then they just get disseminated and they never have any record and people have them wherever they have them there's so much just like, here it is. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that people are like paying me to get to practice writing poems so that one in a hundred times a good poem finally comes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to be upfront with people. I'm like, listen, like occasionally I'm excellent, but most of the time I'm, you, you get, I don't know. <laughs> that's good to be
1: honest Yeah, with.
2: I can be just like completely honest with people and I survive. And that's how I would like the terms of my existence to be because definitely they weren't before when i had to work like a customer service job it's like all day i'm lying to people in some <laughs> way like i don't care about your taco like <laughs> like to not have to pretend ever anymore is such a gift because i that's when i write the best poetry is when like i'm not like caught in like caring about things other people want me to care about
1: wow that's very therapeutic and beautiful what is the craziest experience you've ever had with a stranger at the park
2: There was one time uh, this couple came up to me and they're like, "We want poems," and I loved them immediately. Immediately, I was like, "You guys are fun and just like willing to engage with me and be weird with me," Uh, and we like talked for a little bit and I just really liked them. And they're like, "Okay, like can we get these poems?" And I was like, "Yeah, what do you want? What do you want a poem about?" Like, I love you guys. Like, I would love to write you a poem. And the guy's like, he looks at the girl and then looks back at me. He's like, "Duty," and I was like, "D." U T Y? And he's like, no, duty. And I was like, oh, okay, like, beautiful, let's do it. Sat down and started writing out these these duty poems. And then I like, get halfway through the poem and he stops me and he's like, actually, you know, we've been talking. Uh, could you write us two sets of wedding vows? And I was like, what? Like, what? this is Whoa. the opposite of the first request. Like, <laughs> first off, are you getting married? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we're getting married. And I was like, Okay, let's do it. And I wrote them two sets of wedding vows. And then we said bye. And I thought it would be the last time I ever see them because most people, I have a beautiful moment with them and then they disappear forever from my life. Uh, But like two or three hours later, one of the guys who hangs around the park was like, poet man, like there's these two people looking for you. I was like, where? He's like, she's wearing a wedding dress. She's over there. And I was like, what? And I look over and she's on the other side of the park and they're looking for me and she has a wedding dress on that she just bought at like a thrift store. Um, And they're like, listen, we wanted you to officiate our wedding. I was like, let's do it. Let's do this thing. And so I gave a little speech about how beautiful I found their love. And I like declaimed it to the park and they were standing in front of me. uh, And people like start looking over and paying attention. They're like, what's going on? This is like, what's this boy doing? Uh, And then they each take out their wedding vows and read them to each other. And then I'm like, your husband and wife. Uh, And they kiss. And people are like cheering. They're like, yes, this is beautiful. Um, Like people are starting to pay attention and like, like really like congratulating them and clapping them. And they like everybody's sort of like jumping up and down. And there's just like a a real lightness and joy happening. Uh, And then. They go into the fountain, into the middle of the fountain and get soaking wet and people are cheering for them as they like Mm. are in this weird, like fake wedding ceremony (laughs) that they're taking very seriously. And I'm taking very seriously. Uh, And then uh, they come back and they're soaking wet and we hug each other. And I'm like, thank you so much for including me in this experience. This was beautiful. And we say bye. And I think it's going to be the last time I ever see them because most people I have one single experience and then they're gone forever from my life. But a year later, I'm wandering around the park and I'm so, uh, I'm caught in being upset because I lost my hat somehow. The hat I really loved and it was protecting me from the sun in a really important way. And so I'm sort of like in that headspace. I'm like, where's my hat? where has my hat gone? Um, And this guy comes up. He's like, hey, uh, is this you? And he holds out a photo on the phone and it's me with my hat. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. Like, you don't recognize me because I don't have my hat which I just lost. (laughs) Like, I need my hat for you to be able to tell who I am. He's like, "Uh, I just, yeah, like, I didn't know who you were without the hat. Uh, He's like, a year ago, like, you married me and my girlfriend. I mean, my wife. Uh, Me and my wife got married. You married us. Uh, And I was like, yeah, like." I've been waiting for you to come back. That was beautiful. That was the best moment I've had doing this. He's like, yeah, uh, so uh, we live together now. And I was like, what? Like, that was, that was real? He was like, well, she was visiting. Uh, we had only met like once before, and she was visiting New York. And she had three days here, and that was the second day, and we were falling in love with each other. And we show up in the park and saw you, and we both knew in our weird way that we needed to to lean into this thing and she never left. She just was supposed, she had like a flight to leave New York and she just never got on her flight and hasn't left New York and they live together in an apartment a mile away from me and come over for dinner occasionally.
0: Wow. That's amazing. That is incredible.
2: Um, which like isn't about me at all. Like definitely the vows like weren't special but like just them uh, allowing me into this moment in their life so completely and yeah. all of us fulfilling our roles so completely. Mm-hmm. There's something I loved about it.
1: Yeah, that is so special just to be invested in someone else's lives that you didn't even know before. That's incredible.
0: I mean, I think there's just something so unique about this job in particular that allows you to have those type of opportunities to experience life in such a weird, visceral way.
2: Yeah, I think it's hard in New York. We we don't get to open ourselves to strangers very much because Mm -hmm. it feels dangerous. Yeah. I mean, the epitome of this is like you're on the subway and like you're just trying to mind your own business but to know to like do this job and know that like all that's keeping you away from this beautiful register of existence is just being there for people and leaning back into their life it changes it's changed my relationship with new york
0: um so in terms of uh, writing and generally, writers before they release any type of poem or work to an audience, they feel very strongly that it needs to have every word in place or every comma or, you know, punctuation in place, especially for things such as poetry. How do you kind of combat this when you're writing? Is there ever a moment where you feel like you're not ready to give up a poem or is it more of a liberation mm-hmm. when you do?
2: Um, a lot of the poems I write are bad. Uh, and I've just have to, I've accepted that. Like a lot of these things, you're getting me trying to write the best poem i can and i'm occasionally successful. Uh and it feels weird to receive like $20 for what i know is a really mediocre poem, but people are willing to do it and i'm not going to say no to them because i love doing this and i love getting to share the poems with people. Mm-hmm. I hope it brings enough beauty into the world to justify my existence, but It's
1: mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. And how do you manage to express your own experiences on what strangers ask you to write about? For instance, if someone asks you to write about love, do you relate back to your own experiences? And is it hard Mm. to be so intimate about your own journey?
2: I experience no discomfort being completely honest with people. Mm -hmm. It, in fact, feels to me much more comfortable. There's some weird moments. People trust me to write poems about things I've never experienced, and they know I've never experienced, but it mm-hmm. still seems right to them. There's a time a woman came up and told me it was the third anniversary of her son's death, and she wanted a poem for him. And I was like, are you sure? Like, mm-hmm. you're coming to me for this? Like, this is serious. Like?" And she's like, yeah, like, you... I just see it in your face that you can do this and I trust you. I was like, okay, uh, I'll write you a poem. Poetry is weird. Poetry. um, People always talk about like feeling like you're being spoken through, like language is something happening through your body. That you're just there to sort of be the vessel for. And it's ridiculous. And we shouldn't let people pretend that they're like conduits for reality. But that's sometimes what it feels like. It's like I'm not in control. I'm just sort of letting things go. And it comes out in my voice and I, it comes out strange. And I don't recognize it. And I don't know where it's come from. But I appreciate it like an object I found surprisingly, like washed up on a seashore. I'm like, oh, like. This isn't mine. I know it doesn't belong to me, but I'm going to keep it. Uh, It's so beautiful that I can't, like, I need, I covet it. I want to pick it up and save it. This, like, beautiful piece of sea glass, even though it's not mine. And so I keep it and I take a picture of it. Mm -hmm. There's something about keeping them that feels a little dirty to me almost. Mm -hmm. That, like, I'm coveting my own poems and wanting to save them. Yeah. If I was really a Zen purist, I would just, like, not save anything. But I'm not. I want to sell books. I want to get books <laughs> yeah. to a lot of people.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's nice to understand that even though we have our own experiences, there's something common and something so human that connects us
0: all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that there are universal themes that even if they're not experienced by us, they can still be felt by us mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. like reciprocated to others.
2: I, language is always, always comes from other people. We think the way we phrase our own lives to ourselves belongs to us, but we're using someone else's language to do it. Mm-hmm. And we can sort of invent new language sometimes, but like it is this like foreign process. Language always has to me this like, it's never quite right, but somehow still gets things across. And just to be given an opportunity not to be sucked into corporatization of our minds, people spend so much of their lives concerned with like, how like you have to spend eight hours a day, five days a week concerned with how to sell this product. And they commit eight hours a day, five days a week of their like very brief life to trying to figure out how to sell this product best. Uh, and that's so much of your waking life. That's like a big portion of the time you have awake every day that you're giving away just to like let yourself stay alive. Uh, and I know that not everyone can sell poems in the park. I recognize that. I just I would love if people started quitting their jobs and doing something they actually cared about. Yeah. But I also like, again, like it helps me a lot that I'm pretty in doing this. It helps me a lot that I'm a white boy in doing this. It helps me a lot that, like, I appear to people like what they imagine a poet should be. That said, I think almost anyone who loves poetry can do this. And if you are a poet yourself, anyone who's ever listening to this recording and you've never considered that you could survive off of being a poet and you can just make yourself a sign and you maybe live in a city. Uh, It's possible to survive doing this. Mm -hmm. And that finding that out felt life saving. It felt like I had resigned myself to spending a third of my waking life making money for other people in some way. And to have all of that time suddenly free up was such a huge gift that I'm still reckoning with not really feeling like I deserve to have this gift of never having to like sell something.
0: I think that's really cool. And to tie back a little bit, um, being able to make it and survive as a poet, do you ever worry that your creativity will run out or that maybe like one poem that you hand to someone will be the last poem you ever write? Mm -hmm. And how does that maybe cause certain anxieties, especially because it's tied to how you do survive in the world?
2: By the time I started doing this, I'd been writing for long enough and consistently surprising myself at regular enough intervals that I knew I could write things I loved. And sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes I go weeks, months, maybe, without writing something I love. But for the past nine years, it comes back and I am beautiful again, briefly. Mm-hmm. And then I have to endure another period of waiting before I'm beautiful again. And I just trust that process now. Uh even when it feels horrible and it feels horrible to go weeks of making your living as a poet and writing no good poems and just handing out day after day, these poems that are are worth nothing in your eyes. uh, But then I write a really beautiful poem that surprises me in some way and everything lights up again. And I'm trying to learn how to surf that wave a little more smoothly and not feel so horrible at the bottom. And maybe that means I can't feel so elated at the top. And I just sort of, make it a little smoother (laughs) Um, because I think everyone has some sort of tidal feeling of like movement between moods Uh, and being a park poet has accentuated that I'm no longer feel like I'm like clenching down for eight hours a day and so I'm sort of like free to move through a much wider range of moods than I was before I would I would cry on the subway ride home and that would happen frequently that happened like at least once a week, everyone around me like is so real and deep in their experience and sorrow. And I think this is a common experience people have, but it it shook me to feel it so deeply for so long. One of my mom's friends, when she found out I had just started doing this. And when she found out, she was like, Peter, you need to learn to control your heart chakra. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you got to learn to open and close your heart chakra. And I was like, okay. Uh, and I, I thought I didn't believe it at the time, but I, whether it's a metaphor or like a literal description of something that happens, it's very true. And I can't cry on the subway every day. I got to learn to close that off. I got to learn to survive. And we all do. And we all find that boundary. I just wish for people, it like was a little closer to home. Cause I think we spend so much time in the city, holding people really far away and that impacts our personal lives. And it becomes hard to let people in when we should be letting people in. And it stops us from being a community on the streets. Uh, I think it really deeply impacts your life to like always be having to keep the people around you far away from your personal life.
1: What would you define as career happiness?
2: For me, career happiness is not having to make money for somebody else and have all of that work I'm doing compensated, but the work I'm doing is stripped away from me. I, If I make money for you, you're going to keep the money. You're going to pay me a wage, but you keep the money. And for me, career happiness came when i didn't have to participate in that personally to be able to not have to spend my time worrying about that was the most beautiful gift i've ever received Mm -hmm. uh and i think it's possible people think that like oh like you like this is impossible you have to be like in a particular place and you have to have a particular set of skills and you have to like have all these things and it's just not true like there's so many beautiful lives we could all be living together if we just collectively stopped believing in this ridiculous dream that isn't making anyone happy.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess to kind of tie into that, what advice would you have for people who are currently unhappy with their careers? If
2: there's something you love, you need to protect it because no one else is going to protect it for you. And in fact, everything else in your life is going to conspire to eat up that thing you love. And if you don't build a space to guard it and to practice it and protect it and just do it, every day that you can is you're not going to be able to get there anymore uh and you have to keep that alive that's the only thing that matters
0: mm-hmm. and what would you say it is about your current uh career um that is like the highlight or the reason why you feel so fulfilled
2: i never have to leave i never have to rarely i have to step out of this mind and be like okay peter how do you get a driver's license like like you need a you can't be a poet anymore. Like you got to just figure out how society works. And it turns out you need an original copy of your birth certificate or your social security card or something. Um, And I have to leave occasionally, but for the most part I get to stay in the weird, beautiful part of being alive and I don't have to go anywhere. And people pay me to stay there and people pay me to like be there helping them get to it Uh, and to stay there and to not have to care about what someone else wants me to care about. Fulfillment is being able to think only the things I want to think and almost never having to think what someone else wants me to think this sound I, I don't think that translates well if I were to read a transcript of that I'd be like that's the most like ridiculous statement <laughs> anyone's made like that's just not true but it's true then I think a lot of people spend their lives trying to get there and some people get it, and a lot of people don't and you could get there if you just desired nothing more than a simple life with your fellow peers experiencing joy the joys of owning your own farm and garden <laughs> in the wild countryside of Montana.
1: That's
0: honestly beautiful. <laughs> like, I was just seeing it.
1: And I just <clears> wanted to tell you, when I moved here freshman year, my roommate and I actually were walking around the park and we like went up to you and then you were like, what do you want me to write about? And I said, oh, I don't know, maybe like our friendship and how we just moved to the city. And it was so beautiful. We still have it in our room now. Oh. And we're like juniors. So <laughs> to be able to talk to you now is such a full circle yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. very full circle Yeah, moment. And I think that thing about just like binding strangers together through poetry and the fact that like we still keep it, it's.
0: It's awesome, yeah. yeah. So like, there's so many threads that you have out in the world, and you just never know where they are yeah. or how they'll come back to you. I know, and that's beautiful.
2: I I love when people come by and they'll be like, "You wrote me a poem a long time ago. I have a photo of it. Do you want to see it?" I'm like, "Yeah, definitely." <laughs> and like, I'm surprised sometimes. Like, like it's, vi- I've mentioned this a lot of times in a concerning way, but like, I I think I'm my memory is mostly normal, but I really like. Don't I write so many poems? I don't remember the poem, and so it comes to me as a completely foreign object. I'm like, "Oh, that's pretty good. Like, I should have put that in a book." <laughs> yeah. um, and there's so it happens. It happens not infrequently. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them out there. I don't like to think about all of them all at once because that's a lot.
0: Yeah, and overwhelming. It, yeah. 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 Um I guess on a concluding note, do you have any upcoming projects that you'd like to share with us and, and the listeners?
2: Um, I mean, if you ever want to give me five dollars a month, and that's something that you could do and you want to do. Uh, I send you a poem every single day. Uh, and people seem to like it. I don't know why. I would. I, that's too much for me. I wouldn't want to get a poem every day. Um, I think a lot of them just want to give me money, and this is a convenient way to do it. Uh, but I do, I love getting to have people who I know are like sort of paying attention. It feels good. It feels like a community, like a weird One Direction community.
0: <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Peter, for sitting down with us and sharing your story. Welcome to The Debooth, where we discuss our own perspectives on the interview and apply some of our own experiences and background to the conversation. Wow, So, Peter! Peter. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of this interview? Honestly, I really liked it. I think just coming from someone who has an appreciation for poetry and likes poetry to begin with, hearing um, all those things was really interesting and I think he really reminded me of what it means to be human and to be human with other people and to allow yourself the space to have these connections with people that honestly a lot of people seem to uh, not want or at the very least they seem numb to Mm -hmm. but yeah that was one of my main uh, takeaways I completely agree with you especially living in New York it's such a
1: busy place we're always moving in a fast-paced forward motion but his poetry connects all of these strangers and i just think it's really fascinating how a string of words can create such an intimate and powerful connection between us all and he was talking about how we all have these distinct experiences but we go through the same themes of life like love friendship family grief and it's just so amazing that he was able to connect all of these strangers in the park and unite them all with a single story on
0: a piece of paper through his poetry. (laughs) I think that's so true. I think he really just has this need to fill the world with beauty. And I think at one point, this is very dramatic, but he said uh, he hopes that he can put out enough beauty into the world to justify his existence, which I thought was kind of interesting. Not so much in uh, the sense that um, you have (laughs) to justify your existence in the world, but I think more so for me, what I took away from that was like... in a way he gets to meet all these people in a beautiful way and these are strangers whom he may only meet once he may not even know their name he mm-hmm. may know nothing about them but they walk away with something so intimate of him mm-hmm. and he gets to stay and experience something so intimate with them and I think All these crazy experiences he's had um, from, you know, the wedding that took place and uh, the vows that he got to write to the woman um, Mm -hmm. who approached him and asked him to write something about her son's anniversary of death. Mm -hmm. I think there's something so deeply intimate and trusting and vulnerable that people want to share. And I think the fact that Peter is there as a person who can live his life authentically Mm -hmm. and be able to be that person who gets to fulfill that, that hole in some people's lives, mm-hmm. whether he is conscious or unconscious of it, I think is really beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really interesting to me how his poetry is somewhat elusive and fleeting and that he has this ability to let go of his poetry just because he produces a high volume every day. To me, like just being able to let go and release that product for audiences to consume is such a difficult thing. And for Peter to be able to do that so rapidly but also so cautiously I think is a really great strength and something that I really took away with being able to be okay with my projects and be really proud of it Mm -hmm.
0: I think that's so true and especially uh, for me writing um, I do like to write poetry and I think the thing that's interesting is he's so easily able to let go of a poem and to let go of an art like you were mentioning but I think that doesn't just extend to his writing I see it happening for him on a wider level Mm -hmm. Like, he was okay letting go of a job he had to take on this new role in life. Society were to look at it, they would say, why would someone leave a good-paying job to Mm -hmm. do something that is not steady? He kind of embraces this, like, philosophy in life that's, like, letting the things happen to him being open and willing to accept them mm-hmm. and then also being able and willing to let go of the things and put things out into the world right mm-hmm. and I, I see that happening for him in his poetry as well as like uh, career choices and even just him as a person <laughs> with a very very strong vibe of just uh, having a fearlessness mm-hmm. and an ability to be very honest and authentic which I think is hard for a lot of people so mm-hmm. I really commend him for that and I think that's awesome mm-hmm. I, I think that was so inspiring to me hearing it I just I love it when we meet people who are very passionate about what they do so that yeah. they're, they're so confident mm-hmm. and grounded and like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and I know it for a fact. Exactly. And I truly love
1: the purpose of any art form. Just the idea that we all have these very complex emotions that we feel, very complex life experiences, and to be able to distill that and comprehend that and put it into a work of
0: art I think that's just so beautiful. I think Peter's work is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of how much we've forgotten about humanity and humanness. But I think we often forget to look up and have these kind of encounters and experiences with people. Like, I find myself very skeptical of people who come up to me on the streets or, like, engaging with people on the streets. Um, And he just reminds me that, like, there still are good people out there. And Mm we honestly don't have to look that far. We don't Mm -hmm. have to look past... the park that I literally walk by almost every day to find people who Mm -hmm. are willing and open to like experience this weird space with you Mm -hmm. you know this Mm -hmm. weird encounter that some people only have a couple times in a lifetime and Mm -hmm. he's had it probably a couple hundred times over Mm -hmm. and it's so easy for us to find these things if only we let them happen
1: yeah that's so beautiful just the thought that you could come up to one person and talk to them and sort of like be connected sometimes it's always like a full circle moment too
0: I would not recommend, though, disclaimer, (laughs) just would not recommend walking up to just anyone (laughs) on the street. We want to thank
1: Peter for coming down to the studio, and it was so awesome. He was so inspiring
0: and so nice, Uh, so humble, so smart. Just really down-to-earth and human. Yeah. I think that's the only way I can describe it. It was a very... A raw, vulnerable, visceral experience. (laughs) And I loved it. It was
1: great. I loved it so much. (laughs) And if you ever pass by him at Washington Square Park or any of the parks that he announces on his Instagram page, please say hi to him. He's super friendly. Ask for the poem. Ask for the poem. Engage. If you want to find out more about Peter and his work, check out his website, theparkpoet.com. If you want to find out more about this podcast, check
0: us out on Spotify,
1: Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud,
0: and Anchor. If you want to find out more about us check us out on the instagram at swdyd podcast if you want to find out more about your hosts follow us on instagram at arnell ariana and at it's just joanna thank you for tuning in to so what do you do i'm joanna yamakami and i'm arnell ariana join us again next week for another episode